Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week, we're talking with two-time Ironman champ and 50 Women Dakota founder, Sarah Gross. Sarah and I talk about how the sport changed during her 20 years, how it took her almost that long to finally win an Ironman, why she started her own media company after retiring, and other important things like whether or not she's seen Prince Harry and Meghan Markle in Victoria during COVID. You know, the real stuff. Her daughter also interrupts us at one point, and we go off topic at more than one point. Hopefully, you enjoy it as much as I do. But first, let's put some real stats and numbers on all of this. We talk with Triathlon's unofficial statistician, Torsten Rad, who runs TriRating.com. Torsten enlightens us on what goes into figuring out fast courses versus slow courses, good performances versus bad performances, and how he's put together all of his ranking calculations. All of that after this break. Even though most of us aren't racing right now, we're all still focused on our overall health and well-being. That's where MitoQ comes in. Like everything else in our body, our mitochondria become less efficient as we age. From the age of 30 on, levels of CoQ10 in the mitochondria can decline by 10% with each passing decade. This means our body's natural resilience also declines, which can impact our training, recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, stress, hormones, and brain power. This is why a new supplement called MitoQ is becoming increasingly popular among athletes. It helps the body to better absorb intense training periods and recover faster. Some athletes have even noted improved VO2 max, heart rate variability, and lactate thresholds. When you combine those things with not needing as long to recover and being able to maintain more intense training cycles, you can see why it might result in performance gains. To learn more about MitoQ's unique formula, independent clinical trials, and athlete testimonials, visit www.mitoq.com. That's M-I-T-O-Q.com. All right, so we're talking to Torsten Rad, founder of TriRating, and I feel like, Torsten, you're going to have to explain to us how you became the official datatician, statistician, ratings guy for triathlon. Like, how does that become? <laughs> it's not really a job because you don't get paid, but sort of a job. <laughs> <laughs> you already make it sound way bigger than it actually is. Founder seems like I have 20 people working for me or something like that. <laughs> nah, try rating is is just still me um, having fun looking at the data uh, from the uh, triathlon long distance results that I can get to. Um, yeah, it started, I don't know, 20, 2011 or something. I was just um, trying to get a feel for fast courses, slow courses, um, going towards Kona, um, it was always for for the Americans, of course, always the person who won Lake Placid or or whatever summer race, Ironman Canada. That that would be the favorite for Kona. Whereas the Europeans always look towards Frankfurt or Rot hmm. or or the European races. And I thought that must be a better system than just um, picking the winner of the race that was closest to you as the Kona favorite. And that's <laughs> how how I started looking at the data and trying to get a get a mathematical feel for, okay, what does 8.15 on course X mean? Or is 8.20 at another course, maybe even a better performance and so on. So that's how it started. And yeah, it kind of grew um, because um, I, I needed a bunch of results to do the analysis. I thought I'd do an analysis on, a, on an Excel sheet and then be done in, in two weeks or so. But I found out that there wasn't a decent basis for for getting results so right. i started um putting those together and that turned out to be some some value in itself so now everyone who goes to a race always asks me okay who else is in the race what are the other person's results where are the strengths and weaknesses um who who can i swim with what do you need to look for on the bike because he's a good runner and so that that's that's how it started and yeah just having fun doing it and not really making that much money of it. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I, I think I uh, you put out a Kona report every year, and I think I, I paid like $5, $10 for it or something like that. So, Yeah, that that's that's the one that I that usually is the money-making part of, of what I do all year uh, because, I mean, there's a lot of information for Kona that I like to put together and that other people like to read. So I put out a PDF um, a couple of weeks before Kona usually. So with Kona not happening this year... There goes the money that I would have earned <laughs> for for try rating this year. <laughs> so when you so you just mentioned, you know, every course people want all this information. Now you come out with these like rankings before every big Ironman. 
You pretty much come out with the rankings of all the pros on the list, rate their swim, their bike, their like expected time, kind of put it all together. Um, how do you do that? Explain to our listeners kind of what goes into figuring out who's going <laughs> to theoretically win an Ironman. <laughs> Well, I mean, the first part is um, knowing all the results that this person has done uh, before the race. Um, the way I do it is for Ironman, I only look at Ironman distance results for 70.3s. I only look at 70.3s um, and then um, just don't look at the pure time that an athlete did there, but also take into account if it was done on a fast course or on a slow course and adjust for that. Um, the way I do the adjustment is by uh, basically looking at the whole field there and figuring out um was everyone faster than maybe it was the course if everyone was slower then maybe it was the course and if we you know 90 percent of the field goes slower and one or two people went went faster then probably these had a really good day and the other ones are kind of the the normal mm -hmm. that's that's how i can get a mathematical grip on how fast or slow a course has been and use that to adjust the times and then it's all clever averaging, uh, weighing things here and there, and then putting up a list uh, together um, before an Ironman, which I called it the seedings. Um, I tried to come up with something neutral, but seedings was the best term uh, that, that I eventually settled on. I feel like everybody's now like, oh, I'm going to beat my seed. I'm going to beat my yeah. ranking. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, at least that's, that's a, a reasonable time goal. I mean, a lot of people think that... Um, it's it's a beatable uh, uh, time that I put up there because it's somewhat close to the average of the performances that people have shown in the past. Right. So it's not like like it's an, it's an unreasonable goal for them to achieve, um, but it's still um, you know it's it's not not yet they just need to finish and then beat the time easily. It's it's a hard goal for people to chase and some. A uh, good estimate of well, at least if I beat the, the Torsten C times, then at least I know I I didn't have a a shocker of a race there. <laughs> and so this year, without races, without like also, what are you doing? What are you spending all your time doing instead? You've been working on the PTO, the Pro Triathletes Organizations, their whole system of rankings because they have all they've tried to rank like everyone that's a member in the world based on races like different results all over the world. So. It seems it's like a very big undertaking. Yeah, I mean, um, the the PTO rankings is uh, I run basically the, the the ranking system for them. Um, part of that is also, of course, um, getting all the results from the races that happen, and then make a similar adjustment to uh, what I outlined earlier. Was this course fast or slow? Um, the the twist that we came up with is we we transfer or um, the time into a points value um, by you know, kind of coming up with a with a, an estimate of um, well, the, the the shortest form would be how fast would Frodo or how fast would Daniela have been mm -hmm. on this day on this course, and that's what we call the adjusted ideal time. Um, we equal that with a hundred points. If you go faster than that, you have a chance to earn more than a hundred points, which is pretty rare, but sometimes <laughs> does happen. Um, if you go slower, then you earn less uh, points, and then uh, basically you add up the four best results that you've had uh, okay. to come up with a total, and then we built the the rankings that are on the Pro Triarch website now. And it's like any races in the world, right? It's any race, uh, any any pro race. Uh, so it's Ironman, it's Challenge, um, it's also a bunch of independent races that have a pro field and a minimum level of price money. I mean, right. not if someone earns 500 bucks in a, in a local race. I think the minimum that we're looking at is somewhere around 10,000 US dollars for males and females, preferably equal between the genders. Um, and then uh, include that. Um, yeah, in the past, it's always been, the majority has always been uh, Ironman and challenge races. Mm -hmm. And then there were a handful of independent races or ITU long distance world champs, for example, stuff like that, that we also included. Uh, with the price money this year, um, are not too many Ironman and Challenge races happening. Uh, we're including probably a number of the the independent races that the PTO has provided money for as well as a chance to uh, um, to earn money at least for the pros. But we're still trying to figure out the details of how we're going to reopen the rankings once uh, racing has picked up in a fair way to those that have been able to race in these races. But also to those that haven't been able to race in these races. I mean, Australia just had one or two races that were possible. 
Um, I don't think South America's had a pro race at all for, no. for uh, well, this year. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's been in Mexico, but other than that, nope. Yeah, yeah I think technically Mexico is still not North South America. America. I know. I, I, I know but <laughs> I mean, Ironman canceled all the the uh, pro races in Brazil, in right. in Argentina, in Chile. Nothing's been going on there. Um, so um, yeah, we still want to uh, give them like a, a fair way of being placed well in the rankings too even without races happening. So there are some details we need to okay. nail down to try to be as fair to everyone as possible. And the PTO, so the rankings became into play because they're using them to award spots for Daytona, for Challenge Daytona, which is going to end up being the biggest race of the year because we haven't had any other world championships. <laughs> and then they were awarding some wildcard spots outside the rankings. Were you involved in the wildcards or is that just kind of... because? Some of the wild cards were obvious, like Flora Duffy, uh, Jessica Learmont, Georgia Tip, like those were clear. But then I was like surprised to some people who were missing, you know, Sarah True didn't get a spot. I was surprised about. Was it based on rankings or was it just kind of? Uh... No, I think the, the main point for the wild cards is to find uh, athletes that make the race more interesting okay. to the public, more interesting uh, to potentially the, the TV viewers or the, the stream that is going to be produced. And I was asked uh, about the results that I have for them, but I was not involved in the okay. in the nitty gritty details of deciding he's in, she's out, or whoever. Okay. Uh, however that worked. However that worked. Yeah, I mean it's a it's an interesting thing for sure. So I actually so the reason I had called you or messaged you yesterday was our interview today with Sarah Gross. You came up in our conversation. Because we're talking about death. And I actually feel bad because I joked with her, which this interview will play after this, listeners, like you'll hear in a second. I joked with her that you had, you and I had argued last year about the competitiveness of the women's field. But that wasn't totally fair because the argument you and I had or discussion was very specifically about like American women's depth. And if mm -hmm. like the mid pack was missing, you didn't actually like in general, you actually depth of women's fields. You've actually done a lot of work on over the years. I think I basically I, I inferred that you said women's weren't the women weren't competitive and that's not true. You did not actually <laughs> say that. So. No, I mean, uh, with with the women fields and I guess the discussion always comes comes down to um, we do have a fewer women mm -hmm. and fewer female pros uh, participating in in all the big races. Um, so the the drop off that we see between first, fifth, tenth is that due to fewer women racing or is that due to women being the weaker right. uh, athletes there and i think it almost always comes down to um or at least a big part always is uh, there's just fewer women so of course the drop-off is going to be steeper if you have twice as many men uh in the field and that's always something that is a bit hard to to kind of discern um what is actually being said and uh, to to find okay what what does this mean going forward and I think at this point, we have fewer women. Uh, the ratio is typically two-thirds men, one-third women in the pro ranks. Um, and, but, but is that something that uh, we need to accept as, as the normal place going forward? Or is it something that we see we want to move towards a 50-50? And I think that's where um, I think you and I are on the same page there. Um, but um, maybe you're frustrated about the, the lack of progress that we've seen in recent years there. Right. I mean, you have done a lot. I've looked at a lot of your work on how like the women obviously have also gotten a lot more competitive. This is the other thing Sarah Gross and I are talking about. She started 20 years ago. The women have gotten a lot deeper, a lot more competitive in the last 10 years, 20 years, um, statistically speaking. Yeah, not just statistically. I mean, I looked at, at Sarah's career and I think her first pro race was in 2005. Um, so that's that's years and years ago. And I think Ironman was a different beer, beast back then. Um, we've got twice as many Ironman races now since uh, back then. Uh, the number of, of pros and also pro women has increased uh, tremendously since then. Um, so so I guess um, it, it, it was a different scene when she started her career and when she ended her career. Um, and she was just fighting with a lot more um, fellow females for sponsorship dollars because I don't think the the sponsorship pool has increased during that period right. uh, uh, in the same fashion as as the number of athletes has increased. So it's been getting harder and harder to get decent sponsorship money. Right. I mean, that's true for sure. And obviously, I mean, what everybody seems to say is, you know, the top people have gotten a lot better for sure. Um, 
it takes a much faster time to win these days. <laughs> yeah, although you you could could argue that um, maybe that's not always because the athletes are faster, right. but, but because some um, um, shall we say course change has been made that favors <laughs> faster times. <laughs> I mean, uh, just uh, I, I make it sound so so sinister. It doesn't even have to be that way. I know that, for example, in Kona, they remeasured the swim course, right? And they found that that some of the buoys had just drifted out, and the swim course was longer than what it was supposed to be. And they repositioned the the swim buoys, making the course a little bit shorter, and the swim times have come down. And it's just something very natural to do. Nothing um, particularly focused on producing fast times or going for the course record or stuff like that. But there have been other courses that have been short or where maybe the refereeing wasn't wasn't totally up to what it should be. And it resulted in <laughs> weirdly fast times. Are you talking about Ironman Texas? I feel like you're talking about Ironman Texas. <laughs> I don't even have to name the race, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, Texas was just it. It was so crazy that yeah. uh, I think nine of the ten ever fastest female bike times were in that race in 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 Texas, and that's just something. Uh, without taking anything away from those athletes that were going faster, it's just something that doesn't quite make sense. Mm -hmm. like, and there yeah. must have been something else going on rather than everyone being in uh, uh, enormous shape there. <laughs> Are there any other trends you've seen kind of in your Looking at the data over the years, um, is there anything, any trends, any like statistical anomalies, anything interesting that we should uh, pay attention to? I mean, the thing that that always happens is the the top um, men and women always take the majority of the spotlight, mm -hmm. and that is not just in the races; that is also in uh, price money that they earn, earn that is also in sponsorship dollars, dollars that they have a chance to earn and so on. Um, it would be great if um, there was a, a chance for the for the second and third tier pros to um, you, you know kind of kind of grow into the big leagues right. and to have a have a a path that they can take rather than um, being thrown in to race with the with the big big guns. And then just uh, sink or swim. Um, it would be great if there was some kind of system of second or third tier races that maybe is a bit closed off to the to the really big names that they have a chance to earn money, uh, make a name for themselves, and then move on. And that's something I would like to see in the in the next couple of years. I'm not very hopeful for that, but fingers crossed. <laughs> that's funny. Completely unprompted. That was exactly my same uh, when Sarah asked me. My same what I would like to see different. So. <laughs> um, Maybe right, I was listening in after <laughs> all. Here's my last question for you. With all your statistical, uh, I don't know if you did this math or not, so I'm throwing this at you. Who would have won Kona this year? Any ideas? Um, I did post uh, seedings for Kona as it would have been, <laughs> I think, on race day even. And um, the, the, the easy answer is always uh, statistically, it's always the easiest one is same as last year. Right. Um, uh, Frodeno would have been an easy pick for the men. Um, women was a lot closer because Daniela just had a really shitty day in, in Kona last year and he had a good day. Um, so that would have been an interesting one. I, I think I had them like 10 or 15 seconds right. apart. Um, really close. Um, so I gave you three winners. Okay. And who's going to win Daytona? There's my next one for you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've run the, the full numbers for that yet because the field is still shaping up. And the thing that is really hard for me um, to uh, to predict is how are these short course athletes going to do uh, in Daytona in this competitive field? Um, uh, when, um, Gustav Eden was racing in, in Rating this year in, in the German race that the PTO supported, um, he complained to me that I had him uh, way too slow predicted. I think I had him fifth place because he wasn't doing much, uh, this year so far. Okay. Um, of course he won the race then and proved that I, uh, didn't know his numbers at all. So I don't, I don't think I can uh -huh. make a solid prediction with that kind of field that we're hopefully going to see in Daytona. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting um, between the short course and the long course. I mean, last year, Lucy Charles and Paula Finley, like, step for step battling it out. And now you add in, like, Flora Duffy. And I think it'll be really interesting. So, 
Yeah, and, and also the the short course guys. I mean, Vincent yeah. Louis. I don't think he's ever done the longer race. No, um, that'll be yeah. Uh, same for for Leamont, um, Taylor Brown, and maybe some of the American short courses. So that could be a really really interesting mix of athletes that are just used to going all out and then maybe suffering a bit in the last 5k of the run <laughs> it'll be fun well thank you so much for chatting with us torsten and i will include a link to your site so people can go in, into all the numbers if they want to and hopefully there's going to be some new numbers coming up soon <laughs> fingers crossed for more racing thank you many of us have heard of supplementing our training with coq10 for energy and recovery well, MitoQ is a unique form of CoQ10 specially engineered to get inside the mitochondria to help create cellular energy and neutralize free radicals. It helps improve recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, and stress, all of which will help you train better and be healthier. To learn more about the unique formula of MitoQ, independent clinical trials, and athlete testimonials, visit www.mitoq.com. That's M-I-T-O-Q.com. All right, this week I'm joined by Sarah Gross, two-time, multi-time Ironman champion, and uh, and now the owner of Live Feisty. And I guess I sh we should tell people, Sarah, so you and I used to do a podcast together back in the day, so now we're like getting the gang back together. We are. It was wildly popular, <laughs> our podcast. Actually, we've done three podcasts together. That's true. So we did If We Were Riding, which I still do with Sarah True, little plug, by the way, <laughs> anyone who listens to podcasts. Um, it's called If We Were Riding. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> it's on all okay. podcast apps. No, Kelly and I used to do, and then we did another one called Locker Room Talk. Mm. Do you remember? And then we had, my favorite was the Five Ring Circus one where we did the Olympic coverage. Yeah, that's true. Just, dur just pop up mm -hmm. during the Olympics. It's great. Yeah, we just 16 weeks. We just, like, we go way back in the podcasting go world. Back before everyone had a podcast, so that's right, exactly. So uh, people actually listened as well <laughs> when people watch this. I know, but so I feel like I feel like I have to warn people because we're going to try and stay focused, but we might go mm -hmm. off topic. It happens with us sometimes. I think it already happened. I think it already happened because I was going to start by asking you, Sarah. So people who don't know Sarah, Sarah was you know Ironman champion, very focused on triathlon. Now she's a big CrossFitter. She's all about the CrossFit. So in the pandemic, have you been CrossFitting? What is CrossFit like in Canada in a pandemic? Oh, great question. Yeah. So we, we had lockdown here from, you know, March, like when everything started end of March, when everything went into lockdown, kind of in various parts of the world. Right. <laughs> um, and so we had eight weeks where we weren't supposed to leave our, our home for non-essential reasons. So we could go to the grocery store. And so CrossFit uh, but didn't count. Gyms closed. Yeah. CrossFit, like gyms closed. Lots of businesses were shut for the like basically for two months. Um, and then after that, it reopened with new protocols. Um, and we were really lucky because here in BC and also and even more so on Vancouver Island, we were really low on cases. Mm -hmm. um, so we managed to kind of, for a variety of reasons, things were slightly better than elsewhere in the world in terms of um, the spread of the virus. So we, yeah, we reopened with all these new sanitation rules and okay. with like boxes like there were boxes in my box okay um <laughs> like out on the floor like taped you know so you had to stay like to keep you six feet from the next person oh, so i've been going okay. to cross it under these yeah yeah and then you just have your own like you literally have your own box on the floor my uh, where you bring all the equipment one of my editors says her six-year-old's dance class is like that they have to tape off a space for them so it's like the same thing you and the six-year-olds yeah, I also do dance like <laughs> like six year olds. <laughs> I take a hip hop class, and it is the same. There's tape on the floor. You have to stay near your piece of tape. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh man. So that's how things are in Vancouver Island. Last time I was visiting you back when we could visit places, uh, Megan and Prince Harry were moving, and it was all like everyone had seen them. So now I'm like, this literally popped in my head. Have you guys seen? Are they weathering oh, out the pandemic with you? <laughs> I'm, I am not going to have Megan and Harry updates for you. I'm so sorry. Like, I need to Google that right now. I know that, I know that a bunch of my friends did see them yeah. on trails and stuff. I guess they like trails. They, and, and But I don't – since then, I've not heard anything. Hmm. So I, I'm not up on that that version of pop culture. So okay. sorry about okay. that. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> but you guys in Canada, I mean, you guys have been able to get pretty back to normal. I mean, I saw you – you were even, like, posting pictures and saying, like, hey, guys, like, we – I don't have to wear a mask. Like, don't yell at me because I'm not wearing a mask in this photo because, like, you guys have been able to get, like, pretty back – I mean, not to normal normal. You can't come down to the U.S., so – 
Yeah, I think we actually can. I don't know if it's state by state, but I can go to the U.S. But if we come back, we have to quarantine for two mm-hmm. weeks. So that just makes it not worth it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's it's like masks are optional a lot of places. So if you so most people so I wear masks most of the time when I go out. Right. Um, but if I do want to drop in the supermarket and I've forgotten it, it's not the end of the world. You just keep your distance from people um, and it's and it's fine. But yeah, the social media, <laughs> that's the thing is, right. It's like if I accidentally post a picture of myself without a mask on, on social media, it's like, don't yell at me. I'm on Vancouver Island. I'm staying six feet away from people. It's fine. Yeah, it's crazy. We're going to actually talk about triathlon at some point here. Okay, let's. Okay. Okay, so the thing about Sarah, if you don't know, is that she lived every. Well, the the thing about Sarah is she lived everywhere growing up. And so you actually started triathloning in Scotland and then you triathloned in the Middle East. And now you live. Now, I mean, you're Canadian. Now you live in Canada. But I don't think I've ever actually heard a story of how you started triathloning when you were like in college in Scotland. Right. So right. I actually did my very first triathlon in Canada, that, ah. like a couple of weeks before I left for Scotland. And so I was, I don't know, I was in my early 20s. And um, I had been on the swim team at university and I'd done some a little bit of running, but not really serious running. Um, and so I signed up and did this triathlon. I remember... <laughs> it's like everyone has a first triathlon right. story, right? But I remember I did almost no bike training, of course, because... I don't know. I didn't know anything about that. And it seemed like it took a really long time. Um, and, and the race was 30 K. So one day I just decided I was going to go out and ride 30 K to make sure I could do it. So that was my bike training before okay, my good. first triathlon. Yeah. And then I did that in, um, and then I went to Scotland and started training with like the triathlon club at the university, the university and it's fancy mm-hmm. and um but you actually got pretty serious in scotland which like i never totally understood how mm. you ended up on the scottish national team when you're canadian but somehow you mm. did it's weird i feel like you tricked your way into that it is a little weird i did kind of wiggle in there yeah <laughs> so, like, so of course like okay at that time like this is like this is gonna date me but this is like 1999 2000 it was canada was like a hotbed of triathlon like oh, it was like yeah. Lori boat and peter reed lisa bentley heather fuhr there were so many good triathletes here um and so when and then of course there's like a whole development stream up to that right and so uh in but in scotland right i trained a little bit i went to a race i'm like whoa I just want my age group. Like, how did that happen? Nice. <laughs> so it, it left me with this. And I obviously I knew it was like a small pond, um, but it left me with this feeling like maybe I could be good at this versus like if I'd had the same, if I'd been doing right. the exact same race in Canada, I might not have had that experience. Um, and so then that kind of encouraged me, I think, to, to try harder um, and to train more and to try to get better or try to win a race. Mm. Um, so like within a couple of years, I'd be able to win like local races. And then in Scotland, there is a loophole where you can join a national team if you've lived there for three years. Right. Okay. And so then I begged my way on to the national team. Um, and Darren Smith, who, who has since become like a major Olympic coach has coached tons of people to great ITU results, um, was the national coach at that time. So, um, they had a, I mean, it wasn't all roses, but it was a good setup. Uh, and I had a lot of help really quickly because of that. Right. You had to hit a standard though. I remember you telling me you had to like, well, yeah, hit some time you had never hit. You were just like, all right, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go out and do fastest- this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my fastest 10k ever was when I like detonated myself to try to. So you had to either hit the swim time or the run time. Like there was A and B qualification right. times, right? So you had to make, you had to make the A of one and then the B of the other, right? Or the A of both. I mean, obviously, but I was never going to make the A of swimming. Um, so, <laughs> so I put a, and I forget what it was. I think it was 36 something. We had to run 10k, and I just like, I detonated myself. I th- I ran like under 35 minutes for 10K oh, wow. in that, in like a time trial with just, and, and I, I had never run anywhere near that fast. And like, since have never run that fast. I was going to say, the more important like, question is, have you since been able to run that fast? No, that I peaked. <laughs> in my qualification for the Scottish national team, that was it. Nice. <laughs> that was my 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 high point. But yeah, it's, it's it was interesting because it's like one of those situations where it's like I needed to do this in order to feel like um, I was I could continue with my career, or I felt like it was my opportunity, you know. So I laid it all down. Nice. See, it works. It worked out. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did work out. Worked out. But you were actually yeah. at school, like actually getting a doc. How many doctors do you have? One or two? <laughs> two, two Iron Man wins, one doctor. Okay. <laughs> two doctorates would be a little ridiculous. I think we, I mean, people, people do it. People do it. Yeah. Yeah. But you were yeah, actually, that, although it, I was going to say it wouldn't be ridiculous if I used both of the doctorates, but right. I don't even use the one that I have. Right. So, so what mm. is your, I mean, isn't it in, that's not entirely true. Isn't it in like feminist history studies? And that comes up frequently. That's not the real name of it, but that's like what I think of as it. True. Yeah. <laughs> so I studied, yes, I studied women's history, right. Um, in the ancient world. So um, yeah, it does. I definitely like the, the so that sort of feminist methodology that you study in terms of like the questions that you ask and how you pull apart a society and talk about its culture and, and how people are and why it's the same questions, whether you're asking it about first century women or like, you know, women in triathlon. Right. <laughs> yeah. Comes up all the time in triathlon. Yeah. But my point here was that you were actually studying to get a doctorate and become an academic. And then you were like, no, I'm going to go become a professional triathlete and use this doctorate. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened. So about it was about my second or third year when I was second year when I was there. I got onto the national team and then I went part time on my PhD. Mm. And they like universities don't love it if you give up on a PhD. Right. So they because it makes them look bad. shockingly um so you uh so they'll like give you a really long rope like if you need time or whatever so I just like took that time I spent three or four months a year working on the PhD and then you know eight or nine months training and racing triathlon they were like take however long you need Sarah (laughs) just like just finish just please please finish (laughs) (laughs) they were also aligned with my dad's sentiment at the same time just just just, just, please finish (laughs) Yeah, but you actually, but I mean, this is what I said earlier, like you lived all over the world. You actually then were like triathloning in the Middle East because your dad was stationed there and that's where you were like living at the time, which seems weird. Again, I was like very confused for a while how, why you were triathloning in Dubai. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was interesting. I feel like it was before, like I did not know how to train in United Arab Emirates. Like now all kinds of people train in United Arab Emirates, right? right? Or in Bahrain or wherever. But like at the time, I'm like, can I go out on my bike? Like, is that, is that okay? Like, can I, yeah. And will, like, for example, will, um, men stop me? Um, and, or will there be too much? I mean, sometimes even running and stuff like in high school, you'd get a lot of attention if you were, um, dressed a certain way because people just aren't used to seeing women's legs or, you know, whatever shoulders. So I just wasn't sure. Like when the first year that I went there, I just was totally unsure how I was going to train there. And the reason I went was because I wanted to get away from the Scottish winter and I didn't have any money because I was trying to be a professional triathlete. So I couldn't (laughs) just like do a three month training somewhere warm, like the South of Spain. Um, so instead I just went to the Middle East and trained there, but actually it was like a really lucky draw because Ferris Mm Al-Sultan, um, who later then became the world champion. Um, he used to train there and he'd bring a couple guys there to train with him and, and his girlfriend, who's now his wife used to come as well. So like we had like this little training group, um, that, that would do like long rides across the desert together. It was just like a complete lucky break. Like I went there with a roll of the dice. Like, I hope I can train in this country, even though I was familiar with it. I just wasn't sure about bike riding. Um, and it, it worked out for me. And actually he was a really great mentor. Like when I think about this now, I used to ride, like I used to ride beside someone who like, I think that the year that he did, the year he became world champion, the year before when he was third at, in Kona. And I would just like, I was a total tri geek. Like I would pepper him with questions about nutrition and all like, it's like a, it's like a prose nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) And he just totally put up with me. So I'm actually very grateful for that experience and like him just being so patient with me and and telling me what he knew. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. Do you think you would have ended up uh, being any good if he hadn't been around? I I was pretty determined. Mm, So I probably would have found a different path. Like at that time, (laughs) I was like, I'm going to do this. But I it was it probably wouldn't have been as quick, you know, right. like between the Scottish national team experience and getting in there quite early and Ferris and Ferris's help. Um, yeah, it probably wouldn't have happened so fast. Cause I eventually like by 2000 and I did my first, uh, long course race in Nice and then 
And then 2004, I did my first Ironman and I was already a pro. Like, so I, my path was pretty quick in terms of, um, improving enough to be in the pro field. Right. And then I became, then I came fourth in my first Ironman. Um, but I, but I was training 30 hours a week. Like I was training and I I was doing the work for sure. (laughs) Um, that's not, it wasn't an easy, I didn't walk into fourth place in my first Ironman, but, um, definitely I had all the right, like kind of the advice and training behind me. Interesting. Fourth, uh, when did you say you did your first one in 2004? Yeah, what was it Iron like? Man Switzerland. Oh, Ironman Switzerland. How many, like, how big were the fields then? How, like, Sarah, back in the day? Back in the day. <laughs> okay. I I don't think, um, that's a good question. There, I remember there being deep women's fields. Right. Like, Kelly, this is when, this is before the new rules for Kona qualification. Okay. Like, I remember going to Kona. I went to Kona in 2004 as well. And there were, 80 something women on the start line. Oh, really? Women. Yeah. Yeah. So it truly was like anyone who deserved to be there was there. And if there were also people who <laughs> weren't world champion level like myself there, but it, it provided this, it provided opportunities. Right. So I think there were like a hundred odd men, 80 something women. At Kona. Um, at Kona. So, at Kona. Uh, so, so I don't think I realized that. So here's my question for you. Not that, not to like dive into this, but now they say we can't do that because it'd be too many, it'd be too crowded, and it wouldn't, it would ruin the race, Sarah. Oh, you know, you just know that that's not a, an argument that can be backed up very well. I just, I'm trying not to, I'm trying to be nice about okay. my language around this. Um, but yeah, like Kelly, we know that like since we asked for more pro slots for the women in 2015, they added like Ironman added 200 odd spots to the whole race. So actually, Kona is too crowded now. It You've is been there pretty crowded. Yeah, it's crowded. It is too crowded. Yeah. It's not too crowded because of the pros. Like, got, yeah, I mean, you got hit by a car the last time we were there because there's a lot of traffic and a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of people. A lot of people got hit by cars. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's like a, yeah. It's like a zoo. Yeah. yeah, I guess I didn't realize that. I mean, I knew you had gone to Kona like back in 2004, 2005. I didn't realize there was like 80 people then. Triathlon was a different thing then, Sarah. I don't know. It was crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, it was. It was. It still was in that bridge period, like between the original grassroots mm-hmm. and sort of what it's become. Um, and so I think, I think there was more would you say, I'd, I'd say there was just like, it felt like there was more support for the pro path, like, mm. because, and there were more races. Like, do you remember all those non-drafting yeah, Olympic yeah. distance races that had money on them? Like there were tons of opportunities. So I think there, there did, the women's field did get deeper later on because we figured out how to train better, right. <laughs> you know, but I'm not sure that the numbers weren't there. I think the numbers still were there back then. We just didn't know as much about training and nutrition and all the things we're starting, we're ongoingly figuring out. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm thinking about it. Thinking about someone it. could bring, someone could bring us the numbers, like bring on, you know, Torsten Rad or something to get the numbers and prove me wrong, but I'm just going off observation. Yeah, I mean, Torsten tried to convince me at one point. Oh man, now we're going off on a topic that the women had not gotten more competitive, and I was like, Torsten, mm-hmm. let me show you Daniela. No, I'm kidding. But, yeah. but yeah. I told Lindsay Corbin that, and she just started laughing. So, yeah, definitely yeah. the top end. I feel like the field got deeper, even in my own experience, where I used to go to a race and, like, I collected a lot of top fives, right? Um, sorry, excuse me. I I collected a lot of top fives in certain years. And then as it got more and more competitive, I do similar races and, um, and, and come eighth. Right. Right. Uh, I can remember one year in Ironman, Arizona, I finished fourth. I think I did went like nine eighteen or something like that, like solid Ironman time. Right. And going back and realizing that I would have won the race in any of the previous years. Right. Cause it got faster for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's what, so that's, stuff yeah. like that. that's what Lindsay was laughing about when I told her, cause she's like, I qualified for Kona in like a 10 hour Ironman, my first right. pro year. Yeah. And that doesn't happen anymore, obviously, but it actually took you forever to win an Ironman forever and ever and ever. Yes. <laughs> like you almost me- quit the sport. Yeah. I think um, I almost quit, quit twice. Cause if you count the time that I, semi-quit and decided to have a kid in the middle of my career without knowing if I was going to go back. So there's that. And then right before I finally won in 2014, I definitely was like, 
it I'm either going to, it's either go time or I'm done. Um, yeah, it's, it's a funny thing about coming. Like, I think I came second three or four times I had been like, like I say, I had been 20 plus times in the top five. So you're getting enough feedback as an athlete to go, I could win, you know, if you, if you didn't win, but one person being there, you know, there's a bit of roll the dice. There's times when you have punctures or something else goes wrong. You know what Ironman's like, there's things that go wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, yeah. So I've, I had enough feedback to tell me like, okay, I could win a race. <laughs> like this could happen. This just could keep happen. going. So I just kept going and going for 10 years, um, <laughs> thinking that one day I was going to win. And eventually I did. So phew. <laughs> yeah. But like, I mean, what do you like, cause you told me you were like ready to quit. <laughs> you were like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, all right, I'm going to give it five more weeks. Try this one last race. Mm-hmm. What was different? Yeah. I think, I think a couple things happened. So one thing that happened was I, I had sorted out a long-term injury, uh, mm. in my back, um, a couple of years before. And I'd also figured out that I'm celiac. Right. Right. So I, my performances has start, had started to improve, um, a little bit. And then I think I probably just hit a, I just hit a spot where I, I knew like those couple of years preceding my, my first win, I thought, okay, I know that I can now and I was performing better, but like we just talked about, like the field mm-hmm. also got better around me. Right. Um, and then like I was 38 years old, right? I had a daughter. So like, you're saying I have some more years. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you have lots of years, Kelly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought, and then I just was, I'm like, I came to terms with what it was actually is that I came to terms with the fact that that might be my career. Okay. Like I might just have to count these 20 top fives and handful of podiums as like this this is it that's fine you know and I really came to terms of like I'm okay with that like I can leave it um and then and then I won and then so I don't think those things are related necessarily <laughs> people want to relate them but I don't think they are I think it's one because I won <laughs> I don't know maybe it's like a deep philosoph. I mean you're all about like the mental shit that's like your thing the deep philosophical stuff I think Iron Man's all about the mental <laughs> shit, right? Are we allowed to say shit? You said it first. I don't know. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, well, we know, like, we know it's a mental game out there, right? Yeah. Um, which doesn't help sometimes when you're beating yourself up about why you didn't win. Right, right. But yeah, but then you won Brazil, mm-hmm. not without controversy. And then you won Montremblant, mm-hmm. right? So then suddenly then you win two. See? Yeah. Yeah. So there was like, because Brazil is one of these flat courses where everyone gets jumbled up together. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was some controversy about whether it was a clean bike race, um, which I kind of understand in retrospect. I don't love that people tried to like throw me under the bus because of it. But like, I get that like those flat courses are, are hard to keep everyone. Right. Like they make it impossible. It's basically mathematically impossible. And we've talked about this before yeah. for everyone to stay uh, 10 meters apart or I, whatever the drafting was at that point, I think it was 10 meters. Um, and then for the pro race anyway, and then, um, yeah. And then I, three months later I won Mont Tremblant on a hilly course, like where everybody's just like by themselves on the bike. Right. Um, so that was like, that was really great. And I had worked really hard on my cycling that summer too. Um, cause it was like all those years later, it was still my weakest sport. So, um, so that, that just felt good. And then after that, then I was done. <laughs> and then you're like, all right, now I really am out. <laughs> <laughs> now I mean it. Yeah. 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 I mean, so you mentioned there that you almost quit. You kind of quit. You quit, fake quit when you had your daughter. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, and you're, it's funny because like we're, you're actually one of the people I always forget has a kid. So I was like, oh yeah, Sarah has a nine year old now. Like she's, she's, she's like a fully grown person. <laughs> she is. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I always take that as a compliment. Like that I, like I don't really lead with motherhood and my identity, you know, it's like totally fine for people who do, but people, you're not the only one that forgets. Um, no, you know, when you like, ha- when I was pregnant, I, um, you don't know how you're going to feel after. Right. Right. Like you don't know if you're going to want to um, make the same priorities as as before if I was it, it is kind of like you have to micromanage your whole life to try to perform at an Ironman so I wasn't sure if I was going to want to do that but um yeah turned out I did turned out you so. did well there you go that's good that's good I mean you also found out you're pregnant in the middle of a training camp so <laughs> I was like well shit that's true <laughs> I was in Australia I was trying to get pregnant oh, okay. um but I had we, we had tried for 
I don't know what se- it seems like forever when you're trying. Like we tried for yeah, like three yeah. months or something. I'm like, well, I got to start training again because otherwise I'm not going to have a season. Um, and then I started training again and got pregnant immediately. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. You wonder if there's like something with the, uh, you know, like when people are in like suppressed states, like a lot of times people are training too much. They actually have a hard time getting pregnant. It's the thing. Mm-hmm. It's a real thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's a real thing. Yeah. So, but now everyone's having kids and coming back. It's the thing to do. Do you ever give people advice? Do people come to you for advice? Not really. Not really. <laughs> I- I'm not like in the I'm not like in the limelight, you know, like it's not like what pro do we look to for advice? Sarah Gross. Like that's not a thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but you trained with a kid after having a kid for a long time, which is something now a lot of people are trying to figure out, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's that's true. I think um, a couple things there. One is that like I, I, st- I just missed that. Like, I just miss that generation. Like, I'm just slightly older. Yeah. Like, I was like five years before the recent generation where everybody like got pregnant, had kids and came back, you know? Um, and I didn't, ha- we didn't have a lot of information. Like, right. I think about this now. It's how sometimes, I think sometimes still women get information about <laughs> about things to do with their bodies that we don't know about. We just like ask people or the message comes like on horseback from a different land. You know, <laughs> like we don't like, there's no like good way to, I just mean, there's no good way to like pass on information. Like there was no website about how to train to be a pro athlete after you're pregnant. Um, you just had to go off individual blogs or people's stories or the medical advice that's given to general active people right. rather than um, rather than elite athletes. Uh, so it, yeah, it's a bit weird. You're just making it up. I, I remember because I was in Australia, I remember they had completely different attitudes than, really. than we did in Canada. So for example, uh, we were often told like not to cross your lactate threshold, um, when you're pregnant. And I found that I couldn't, my body wouldn't do it. But in, in the, when they were in the second trimester, they would. Huh. Right. So there was like, I'm guessing a study that came out of Australia, uh, but I had never heard that as a Canadian. Like, yeah. That, hey. Yeah. Me either. That's interesting. I mean, there's always a study from like seven runners in Australia that then we like draw right. all our information from. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. like, is that good information? I'm not sure. Who knows? <laughs> but, the, but the babies have come out okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're good. Does Rosie, sorry, does your daughter, I mean, is she like into triathlon though? Do you, you take her to stuff? Is she like, know what you do she yes I, in fact one time one of her teachers uh it wasn't that long ago a couple of years ago messaged me or emailed me and was like rosalie is insisting that you're a triathlon <laughs> not a triathlete a triathlon <laughs> i can just imagine this fight going on in the class right? she's like i just want to confirm like are you a professional athlete i'm like yes <laughs> that's she's not lying to you she didn't make it up like <laughs> I am a triathlon. Um, She's like, Rosalie loves karate. Right. I think it's probably because it's so far from anything that me or her dad do Um, that she, that she's taking, she's, she's, what'd you say? She's, she can be contrary. What? (laughs) No. I know. Hard to imagine. That's weird. Mm -hmm. I mean, like how old is she? She's like nine or 10, right? Yeah. I was totally reasonable at that age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You love to do all the things your your mom did, right? Yeah. <laughs> you actually, I mean, so a couple of years ago you retired, but you never really officially retired. Did you? I mean, I made fun of you for this at the time, but did you ever actually officially retire? No, like as in, does officially retire to you be make an announcement? I guess so. I mean, <laughs> like posted on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we just answered our own question. But I, I don't, I didn't really see the need to retire, like to announce a retirement. Like if I was Chrissy Wellington, right. yeah, I'd, I'd announce a retirement. But I was in that middle zone, you know, um, where I'd won a couple Ironmans, but I hadn't, I wasn't at the top level. You're like um, kind of Kona, a big deal like, in Canada. People in Canada know who you are. Yeah, they did maybe a few years ago. <laughs> Why did you decide to be done though? You just felt done? Yeah, I think I was just like, I was physically exhausted and I was, you have to be like mentally ready to push yourself every day. Like right. by the time I retired, I was just so grateful to not have to put myself through pain. 
in, in training, like during intervals and stuff like that. It's like, it's painful. And I was just glad to be not doing that and sitting on the sofa instead and writing and editing videos and doing things that I thought were fun. How much have you let it go though? Because like, okay, we did a swim run race together like a year, year and a half after you retired. And my (laughs) husband was like, and you were all like, I don't know if I can keep up. And my husband was like, she's going to be fine. Like she wanted Iron Man like a year, two years ago. She's going to be fine. It's, you know, it's hard to predict because right now I can tell you what I do. I go to CrossFit three or four times a week and I run two or three times a week, less than an hour. Okay. So I do less than an hour of exercise every day. Um, and the further I get from my endurance career, I suspect it'll get harder and harder and harder to pull off things like a five and a half hour swim run with you. <laughs> we like, what? didn't we have to run? We swam. Like that was 10,000 yards. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, with paddles. <laughs> like, how did I not get, I get a shoulder injury? I we also know. got lost, guys. We were like walking through Poison Oak in the middle of a marsh at one point. <laughs> Swim run is the swim run is the best. Like I, I just like I loved it. It's like a you're there with one of your friends. You're trying to find your way. You're following the little white flags. You don't know. Like there's no boys on the swim. You just have to randomly swim to another beach. Like I thought it was great. It's great. It's fantastic. They're coming back. Like they're like coming back in the pandemic. Like soon. You know what I mean? Because you can like space people out more and stuff. Yeah, I would think a swim run would be easier to space out than other types of events like running events or, or even triathlons mm-hmm. yeah no. but what you really um, did when you retired was start a media company that's what you actually you didn't just oh, like crossfit for? and hang out no 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 that's where i was going eventually <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did i like we okay we in 2015 and this is this came up a little bit before, um, but we definitely advocated for equal slots for the female pros in um, in Kona. Who's and we at though? At that time, like we, like uh, oh, we had a great group. It was like Alyssa Gadeski, mm-hmm. Sue Aquila, Kelly Burns Gallagher, Rachel Joyce. Um, we had like a great team. We, we and we worked together. Um, and um, yeah, that was a fun project. We started, a, we founded a nonprofit called Triequal that still exists. Uh, and then I, but I ended up, we, well, a few of us ended up dealing with a lot of media at that time, mm, right. right? So I was like interviewed by Forbes, like big media, like big media, quote unquote, like, um, Sports Illustrated, like all the, of course, all the triathlon, like then I was on all the triathlon podcasts and, right. and Rachel was, and we talked to loads of people and um, I, I started to realize the impact that could be made through media. Um, and I wanted to maybe help shift things for women in sport a little bit. So, uh, that was my avenue in, and it took a little while to figure out like what that project was going to look like. Um, and I thought about going back and doing a master's in journalism. Oh yeah. Um, okay. And following your footsteps. <laughs> um, but then eventually I, we just ended up like I continued, we did the iron women podcast, um, at first and then just kind of like built it up from there, um, talked to people on Instagram <laughs> and uh, started collecting our community. You um, guys have a lot of stuff there now. So you're doing a terrible job promoting your own company, but it's Live Feisty. And what all, like you guys have a lot of stuff now. It started as just mm-hmm. like one podcast and then you and I did one. We actually, we actually did one before you even founded Live Feisty, but now you guys have like all kinds of different things. Yeah. So we've, so far we've done six podcasts. Um, we have Iron Women, If We Were Riding. Um, we have, I can't even remember. Oh, no. We just, we just launched, we just launched my favorite so far. It's called Feisty Menopause. Um, and it's for like performance minded women going through menopause. And it's, it's hosted by the woman who wrote, if anyone knows Dr. Stacy Sims, the woman who co-authored Roar, that book about like, it's a book about female physiology and performance. And it was like the first of its kind, which is like a groundbreaking book. But Celine is the one who turned that book into something that, um, the everyday person can read. <laughs> Cause if you've ever talked to Stacey Sims, sometimes it's St- like a lot yes. of words. <laughs> Stacey writes our like monthly nutrition column. And we have to be like, Stacey, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> like, Right. You have to like edit out all the science language. Like she's very smart. Um, but yeah, Celine's like chief editing Stacy person. Anyway, she's the the host of our Feisty Menopause podcast. Um, and that's got that's been super well received because there's not a lot of information in that space. Um, 
Yeah. And we also have a, and, and what's worked really well is we've started a digital marketing agency sort of alongside. So mm-hmm. we work with Stacey Sims. We work with Hannah Grant, who's a Tour de France chef, um, has an Amazon Prime show. Uh, we work with another woman who's an obesity doctor out of Vancouver, who's um, trying to change bias in medicine around obesity. Um, so definitely people that we like to support and build up and we'll do social media for them and, and sometimes help them build an online business. Um, so, and all of that comes under this umbrella. I I think we're not the first people to start a media company and alongside have an agency where, um, where folks can come in and pay us for our services as well. So, uh, it's, it's, it kind of exploded this year because of COVID. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. Cause like in a good way, I saw like whatever you and I started working together in January and now I'm like, whoa, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's just because first of all, we stayed home. Right. So we had so much more time to put into online stuff, but also there was a bigger interest in our business and what we were doing because everybody was staying home and trying to get into right. the online space even faster than they were before. So I think that, I think that arc was happening anyway, but COVID just sped it up. Um, and you so, make money. See, is that what every, I remember like people told you you're never going to make money. You can't make money. I know. We, we make money now, Kelly. We make money. <laughs> I'm happy to say. I, it's a year ago. I moved into this condo that I'm in a year ago and I didn't know how I was going to pay my mortgage. Like it was, um, yeah, it was scary. Um, and now, yeah, and now I'm good. Yeah. Because you basically, I mean, because yeah, I've like followed whatever the last few years as it's been a little startup-y. And you basically went from a job that <laughs> you didn't regularly make money to something where you're like, um, oh, also not going to regularly make money. And it's hectic and it's crazy. And I have a 10 year old and I have, yeah, it's a lot going on there. It's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's good. Like it, we're a little bit more stable now in terms of the, the financial side. So that's good. And we've been able to choose, like we've been able to choose some new initiatives like feisty right. menopause that we can go, okay, I think this is good. I think this is important, but I also think it's going to um, create a community that like that has value and that can be built into something that's also makes money. So the wheel keeps spinning, you know, so we're not doing everything like as if we're a nonprofit all the time. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. How much are you so obviously, obviously you started in triathlon, but now you do all these other things. How much are you still like following triathlon stuff? Not that much. Like I still do the podcast with Sarah. True. Um, right. But true. <laughs> with Sarah, true. <laughs> but she brings all the triathlon information and I just show up. Um, I just know like from all of my friends are still triathletes, but I don't like I'm not haven't been following the sport. You know, you've been following the sport, but you uh, go to Kona every year. You guys do like a ton of stuff at Kona. Are you okay? Yeah. So, yeah, I am. I just, sorry, listeners, I have to let my daughter in here. <laughs> um, I have an unexpected visitor. <laughs> my daughter just showed up. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to move in here. They're like, well, you know, real talk. What was it? Oh, I was talking to Ben Canute and his dog, like he just adopted, quarantine, you know, adopted, started jumping on him in the middle. It's a very real <laughs> podcast. It's fine. <laughs> she, she was supposed to come in uh, 15 minutes. So I thought we'd have enough time. Yeah, well, that's fine. But that's fine. anyway, here we are. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just asking you how much, like, expanding outside of triathlon. Do you still, I mean, you still like pay attention to triathlon though. You still, you still have opinions about triathlon. You still have thoughts. Of course. Of course I have opinions. You know, it's, it's, we talked a lot during Sarah and I on the podcast talked a lot about, um, like what is triathlon when, what is triathlon when there's no triathlon? Oh my God. I just wrote a column about that. (laughs) Mm, What did you, what was your conclusion? Well, I actually think, man, okay. I actually think that like multi-sport, right? Like people, if you think about what are triathletes doing right now, they're like really into gravel riding and they're doing trail running and they're like buying cross-country skis and they're going, like everyone I know is doing rim to rim to rim. I'm doing rim to rim to rim, right? Like everyone's going on these big backpacking trips and like, so people are doing stuff as you so eloquently said earlier. And like, isn't that Mm. the whole like multi-sport spirit, right? So like, I I actually think that's like the future of multi-sport is that people, and we know that from the younger demographic, like people under 30 don't want to be limited to like one thing they want to do. They always say that. They're always like, well, I don't want to just like do one thing. I want to do like all these things. 
So that's my yeah. that's yeah, sort of I my think- feeling. I agree with you. I think I've seen, especially in recent months, like at first there was a little bit of malaise and everybody right. went, everybody kind of panicked and went, who are we without triathlon? I don't know who I am. And then once we got over that first phase, uh, people started to make some other goals, like you said, yeah. like FKTs and gravel riding and stuff like that, and then just kind of moved on. And I think those same people will still come back to the sport and will still do triathlons uh, as part of their exercising <laughs> um, in the future. I think the people like the folks that are going to have been hit hard are uh, the race directors, yeah. people who were, you know, who their living was um, based on triathlon events actually happening and some industry. Um, yeah. Some industry related, like, I don't know, like if you may, if you had a company that made uh, medals for, right. <laughs> for, tr- like for like finish specific, lives, yeah. you know, so there's going to be like, there's going to be parts of the industry that really struggle for a long time um, or that would be shifted. And then there's other things that are booming, like the gravel bike, mm-hmm. <laughs> the gravel bike sales or in, you know, you, in Canada here, we can't get, we can't get smart trainers. Oh like, yeah. There's yeah, none, yeah, like, there's none to order. <laughs> Nobody, they're all sold out. Like they can't get parts. It's, it's a whole thing. Um, so yeah. So I think there's like a lot of things that, that shifted, but as we just said, people are still doing stuff. I have like mixed feelings. So I both think that we're going to have like a boom next year as like all these people who picked up biking and running, like everyone picked up biking and running. Right. Uh, I think they'll come to triathlon in the spring. I think that's definitely going to happen. And we like need to figure out a way to keep them or like attract them. But I also think that when we think about triathlon as like us as an industry, we have to think about it a little more as multi-sport. We have to think like it's not just about doing a triathlon. Like triathlons need to also have at them probably gravel races and swim runs. Like I do think like it's got to be a little bit more flexible and adventure spirit because that's definitely kind of the way the direction. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think don't you think that was the direction anyway? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Just, it just went on fast forward. Like <laughs> other things during COVID. Like it's like we knew, Kelly, we knew. We knew. We knew that the sport was going towards gravel and more fun, interesting adventure things. Swim run. We called this two years ago. But um, now that everyone's been forced to do it, right. it, it made our prediction come true. Made our prediction. Nice. We have lots of opinions. Oh, yeah. That should be my, we always would say, if I was in charge, <laughs> this is what I want. If you were in charge, Sarah, what would you do? <laughs> Ooh, what am I in charge of? Triathlon. <laughs> I'm in charge of triathlon. Yeah. All of triathlon. Oh my goodness. Oh, so many things. Um, oh, we have to start over. Okay. I think, I think, oh, what would I do? Do you want to go first? <laughs> do you want <laughs> so to go first? think about what I would do? No, I'm just curious. Because I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about like, I think that the, that, that development pipeline we you mentioned for pros has kind of disappeared and it's going to hurt us down the road because there isn't really anyone coming up to replace mm-hmm. the big stars right now. I mean, there are really good people. Don't get me wrong. We talk to them all the time, but there isn't as much of a pipeline. Like, and that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt for sure. I think. Yeah. The next generation below. And, and then there's not when you don't have heroes in a sport, it's right. harder to grow it. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's actually a good one. I think like the return of the, the local races and the more mm-hmm. grassroots races. Uh, that's, that's what I think is going to happen, but also what I would do. Um, nice. You would, you I would think... return them. <laughs> that's I, I would return them. Well, you just put me in charge of triathlon. <laughs> so I don't know how one person gets to wave their magic wand and, and do all these things. So <laughs> the how is not part of this conversation. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. What else would I do? Oh, I, the, I've for a long time thought that, do you remember like the Dan skin yeah. women series? Yeah. Yeah. We talked about it. Yeah. Yeah, I've thought that there could be a um, like kind of a nationwide or North America wide women's series that's mm-hmm. like branded that has the support of brands all come together, but that have great races like with pros and and all the way down. So it's not just like some kind of beginner, beginner drive right. to get new women into triathlon. It it is that, but it's also a pro race and also a place where women and like elite women can compete or, or amateur athletes can compete with each other too. Um, so I think that that would be a good, I would, I would also put my wand on that. Okay. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there's anybody, you know, that wants to sponsor one of those, let us know. Yeah. That would be great. Kelly and I, yeah. Kelly and I are in charge of triathlon now. 
Oh, accessibility too. Like yeah. I would definitely have like, you know, a, a thing where, um, like where it makes sense for race directors to create accessible races so that anyone can participate, um, regardless of your ability. I would do that. You would do that. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you feel this like there's a, a few things? Uh, do you feel like you would get into triathlon now if you were coming up? Like how, how much has changed since you were like, you know, winging it in Scotland? Good question. Mm. Um, when I think about what attracted me to triathlon is was like the kind of was how hardcore I thought it was to do uh, those yeah. three sports, like watching people go. And that you remember, do you remember from early days when it was so hard to run off the bike, like your legs felt wobbly and you just thought you were such a badass for doing that. Um, so as long as I felt that, I think I would, I think I would do it. Um, I do think there are a number of other things in that space that could compete for my attention now which might be like your swim run or your ultra running, which I knew nothing about back then, um, or, uh, CrossFit, right. you know, so Spartan racing, stuff like that. Like there's a lot of, um, it's like that, what would you call it as humans? Like when we want to be, we want to feel like we're a superhero, you like go to one of those, like the superhero type sports superhero uh, that make us feel like physically capable triathlons, one of them. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. I feel like we've covered your whole story, Sarah. All of it. Excellent. 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 Yeah. Is there anything we missed? We even had a, we even had a visit from mm-hmm. Rosie. We even had a cameo from my daughter. Yeah. yeah. So like, we've, we've covered it all. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Kelly. Amazing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Usually we finish with a would you rather though. All right. Ooh, okay. All right. So here's my would you rather for you. At this point, would you rather win a CrossFit competition which is apparently a thing. Uh, swim run or a triathlon? Triathlon. Really? As long as, as long as it's a big race. <laughs> How big like, does it have to be? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no... Okay. Hmm. I, maybe I went in too early with the answer, but like, if I could win the Olympics in triathlon, I'd pick that. Well, yeah. Okay, fine. Can I pick that? <laughs> can I pick that? Sure. But I picked. Sure, Sarah. You can pick <laughs> Done. that. Done. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for talking to us, Sarah. I mean, I don't know if this has been our usual podcast, MO, but hopefully everyone found it entertaining. Yeah, I hope I hope so too. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks to Torsten and Sarah for the last minute chats. Sorry for any mistakes I might have made. And thanks to all of you. Keep training and keep listening.